Welcome to Catholic Leadership for Civil Society, an intentional community of Catholic leaders. This is a space about Catholic leadership, but not for the parish or the diocese. This is Catholic leadership for the world. Stay with us and allow us to share with you a vision handed to us by the Second Vatican Council to help advance the mission of the Church. It all boils down to one idea, engaging society as civic leaders. My name is Christopher Pereira. I am your host. My co-host, Erin Monin, is also in the room. Hi, Erin. Hello, Christopher, and hello, everyone. Um, before we start, I would invite you to take the time now to ping five people, five Catholic professionals that you know and follow in Clubhouse. When you do this, uh, not only will they be invited to join the room, but their friends will also be notified and attracted to the room as well. So if you could all take a few minutes to do that, we would be very appreciative. Thank you. Thank you, Erin. I'm very excited about today's topic because for those of you who are new to this room, this is a one-hour room that meets every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific. And the overarching theme for our meetings is Catholic leadership for civic civil society. That's precisely the, the mission, our mission, our message to promote, to invite uh, lay Catholics to consider engaging society as leaders. Now, we, we, every week, we choose a topic uh, that's a little more narrow, a little more specific that has to do with Catholic leadership for civil society. Today, this week, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about profiles of Catholic leaders who had a tremendous impact in civil society. So I'm very excited because I am hoping that many of you will uh, join us on the stage and talk about your heroes Talk about those people that you really look up to, those people that you admire, those people uh, here on earth or, on, or, or in heaven, right? Uh, saints or saints in the, main, in the making who uh, demonstrate this ability to bring about change in society, affect lives, touch lives in significant ways. Uh, so I'm going to begin with one, which I think is probably... It probably epitomizes, it epitomizes this concept of a Catholic leadership for civil society. Because uh, if you have not heard of Dorothy Day, she's definitely at the top of the list. And, and a person that when she, at first, uh, in her early years in life, she was probably a little uh, confused about uh, many things not not quite uh, serious in her in her faith in her relationship with God when she came when she finally came home to the Catholic faith she uh, she was on fire she was on fire and she never stopped she never stopped being on fire until the day she she uh, left us but uh, Dorothy Day was born in Brooklyn New York in the year 1897 she was the third child of Grace and John Day. Her nominally religious family moved to the San Francisco Bay Area and then to Chicago, where she was baptized in the Episcopal Church. She attended University of Illinois at Urbana and then became interested in radical social causes as a way to help workers and the poor. In 1916, she left the university and moved to New York City, where she worked as a journalist on socialist newspapers. And so she didn't start... <laughs> right off, uh, with with the with the uh, clarity of she of she, where she needed or wanted to be, but she Dorothy Day was the founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, which has nothing to do with uh, what has happened today with some of the some of the remnants of of uh, the Catholic Worker Movement. What Dorothy uh, they did, uh, she had grown to admire the Catholic Church as the church of the poor. And her faith began to take form with the birth of her daughter, Tamar, in 1926. Her decisions to have her daughter baptized and embrace the Catholic faith led to the end of her common law marriage and the loss of many of her radical friends. So she did away with all of that, and Dorothy struggled to find her role as a Catholic. While covering the 1932 hunger march in Washington, D.C., for some Catholic magazines, she played at the National Shrine. She prayed. She went to pray at the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. That some uh, some way would something would open up for her. Something, uh, some clarity will come to her, so that she would understand what her mission was. 
The following day, back in New York, she met Peter Marin, a French immigrant and former Christian brother who had a vision for a society constructed of gospel values. Together, they founded the Catholic Worker Newspaper, which spawned a movement of houses of hospitality and farming communes that has been replicated throughout the United States and other countries. As a Catholic worker, Dorothy Day lived a life faithful to the injunctions of the gospel. Often the newspaper quoted uh, uh, J.K. Chertison's famous observation that Christianity hadn't really failed. It had never really been tried. Well, Dorothy Day's life was spent trying. She was shot at uh, while working for integration, prayed and fasted for peace at the Second Vatican Council, received communion from Pope Paul VI, and in 1967, uh, International Congress of the Lady, and addressed the 1976 Eucharistic Congress in Philadelphia. So, by all accounts, Dorothy Day was a Catholic leader in civil society, and that's precisely the, the brand of leadership that we promote here. There are many others, there are many others, and I can think of some people who are alive this day and who are doing wonderful things. And I love to tell their stories today as well. I can think of Tom Monaghan, for example, the founder of Domino's Pizza and Ave Maria University, right? Uh, I can think of uh, Dan Lipinski, who is one of the uh, uh, last Mohicans, one of the very few remaining uh, pro-life democratic uh, politicians in the United States. And uh, Timothy Bush, founder of the Napa Institute and, and a Catholic philanthropist, very well known for their work with Catholic University of America and many others, many others. But Erin, I know that you have some heroes too that you wanted to, to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. And Christopher, you starting off with Dorothy Day, I'm like, wow, that's, yeah, she's an amazing example of the exact kind of person that we're talking about. Um, I did want to clarify something before we move forward that um, we talk about this a lot in this room, but just to, you know, reset kind of our entire mission is to say that these, the people that we're talking about today and that we talk about every week are not the people who stay within the parishes and do God's work or do their ministry there. While that is so beautiful and so needed and we do like highly respect everyone who spends a lot of their time and talent and treasure within our Catholic churches and parishes, we're talking about people who take their faith into society and infuse their faith into whatever it is they're doing and we're mostly talking about people who are doing things in the secular world such as politics or you know christopher's example of what dorothy day did um the i can't tom monahan i think you said who started dominoes like things that are not like at their foundation catholic things but that catholic people go out and do so just to clarify that's the kind of person we are talking about today um and that we usually discuss <laughs> in this room um but yeah so i we we were both christopher and i were trying to come up with several examples but obviously we want to hear from all of you as well so i will keep it brief um one person who I actually just learned about recently, um, I don't know if any of you are subscribed to Catholic Vote um, or The Loop by Catholic Vote. If you're not, you definitely need to be. <laughs> um, but I get their emails every day. And one of the emails I got, I think it was a couple weeks ago now, they um, shared an interview that they had with a former representative. Um, his name is Tim Wells camp. He's a Republican from Kansas and he, he was a former representative there. He now works for Catholic vote, but they interviewed him and it was actually really incredible because he was talking about a lot of the things that we talk about in this room. Um, I actually wanted to just read a quick like excerpt from that interview because I think it really defines him, the kind of person we're talking about, and we'll set the stage for the rest of our conversation. So um, they start out sharing, you know, who they are at Catholic Vote, and it's really cool. They actually have a similar mission. Um, it says, we encourage our followers and members to boldly witness to the truths of our faith in any way you may be called to. 
Many of you already do, but for those who haven't, have you considered volunteering for an important local political effort? What about running for office yourself? Some of you, busy as you are raising families, running businesses, and serving your parish communities, might hesitate to get more involved. To help you think it over, we interviewed former Republic, uh, Representative Tim Walskamp, who serves as Senior Political Advisor to Catholic Vote. We're confident his insights in the interview will be helpful. Okay, so their first question is, it talks about... Um, a lot of the things that we've discussed in this room. They say, the local school board is the epicenter right now for the battles over women's sports and critical race theory. In Texas, a group of concerned parents recently changed their school board to get rid of critical race theory. Do you think concerned Catholic citizens should consider running in school board elections and other local offices? And just the first paragraph of his answer, I won't read the whole thing, but it was really profound. He says... Since 1976, our American Catholic bishops have outlined our moral obligation to vote during every presidential election. Unfortunately, these quadrennial letters understate or even overlook more critical elections and responsibilities to live out our Catholic faith in public life. Voting with a properly formed conscience is certainly a moral obligation, but not unlike our weekly mass obligation, this is just the minimum requirement. Much more is expected of our faith. I just, I read that and I, I, I've read the whole thing, but I just, the beginning of this interview is so powerful because it literally lays out exactly the kind of person that he is and that we're discussing in this room. So, um, someone I just, he's someone I just learned about recently. I'll, um, we'll talk about it at the end, but we have a group chat for this room. I'm going to put this interview in that group chat so you all can read it. Highly recommend that you do. It's very powerful, and he he's a true Catholic leader in our society. Um, and he says a lot of things that really resonate with our mission in this room, like I said. So that's just one example. I'll share a couple other as uh, others um, as we go throughout our conversation. But I would love to... Um, invite sorry <laughs> I'd love to invite anyone to the stage um, who has other examples or who uh, would like to just share their thoughts or ask questions about this conversation um, so if anyone wants to join please do I don't know Christopher if you had some other um, thoughts that you wanted to share it looks like we have a hand coming up, Angeline and Jacob. And while, while she comes to the stage and we give her the mic, Angeline, in just a second. Thank you so much for I having just me. Wanna, of course. I just want to invite everybody to uh, think about your heroes. Who are your heroes? I know I have so many. Uh, who are your heroes? But we are particularly talking, like like Erin has so well defined, about Catholics whose mission is really executed, carried out, out in secular society, because I think this is this is our, the focus of our room. Because we think that that is where where there's a void, and there is where where we need to make more of an impact of a presence as Catholic leaders. Be Catholic leaders, but just not for the parish, not just for the parish or the diocese. Catholic leaders for civil societies. Who who are those people that inspire you? Dead or dead or alive, in heaven or here in. in Maybe part of church, the church militant or the church, church triumphant. Do share those stories. Come up to the stage, raise your hand, and we'll bring you up. Angeline, go ahead. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Angeline Jacob. I'm from India. I'm uh, staying down south in Karnataka, Bangalore. I'm a master's student uh, pursuing in the f field of psychology. And uh, yeah, psychology is a field. Uh, that really requires a secular platform where we can, excuse me for the thunder, it's kind of raining out, out here. I'm so sorry for that. Um, well, the Lord created the rain and thunder. <laughs> so um, we need a platform where we can redeem a lot of things that is being distorted in today's culture. Uh, the definite, the very definition of love, the very definition of of sacrifice, the very definition of endurance, fortitude, um, in a secular world, and I think that is the core element that we need to bring in our respective professionals. Um, and I look up to um, uh, Mother Mary; uh, uh, she's a very empowering person uh, to me. 
And so she's my personal hero. Thank you, Angelina. Of course, when we think of Mary, uh, we we might not uh, realize this, but she was a lay person. That she wasn't part of a religious order, and she was certainly a leader in civil society in her own time, as the apostles themselves looked up to her. And everybody, I'm pretty sure that, uh, especially once Jesus went up to heaven, um, who, who would be the next person to to look up to if it wasn't Mary? Uh, right? I would, so, I would yeah. say Pope John Paul II, who is a saint right now. Uh, he was he was who he's the epitome of courage. Uh, I think many, very many times we remember uh, listening to his sermons where he said, "Do not be afraid," and that is what we need as Catholics right now. Thank you, thank you for sharing that, Angeline. And I see that Jennifer has joined us. Jennifer, who is your hero? Who's your Catholic leadership for civil society? I, I think Jennifer maybe is having trouble with her audio, but while we wait for her, Pope Saint John, uh, Pope uh, Saint John Paul II, for sure. Um, well, he was of course not a layman, but the impact that he had in the world was not uh, constrained to the bounds, uh, boundaries of the church, right? And we all know the enormous and, and positive political influence that he had and how he was able to, through his influence, uh, to a great degree, bring bring down communism, right? So uh, we, of course, when I think about the, the heroes of today as well, who are those people who are making a difference today, earlier, I mentioned, uh, I talked about Tom Monaghan. I think he's a big one. He's the founder of Domino's Pizza and also Ave Maria University. If you know about this man, truly a self-made man. Uh, Monaghan and his brother Jim ended up in a Roman Catholic orphanage shortly after their father died and their mother couldn't handle raising the kids alone. It was a formative experience and Monaghan is a devout Catholic to this day. So uh, Paul has just joined the stage, and Paul always has something really interesting to share. So, Paul, who are your heroes? <laughs> um, I've got a few of them, um, but I was recently reminded of um, of an author. Uh, her name is Phyllis Schaffly. Um Now, I think that more regularly, more contemporary, she, there was a... Um, um, a um, Netflix set of movies that sort of did a, an injustice to who she really was. Um, but she um, was someone who exposed the, um, the, the equal rights amendment uh, push for what it was, which was uh, an attempt to um, uh, strip away uh, real um, substantive uh, legal protections for both women, particularly mothers, and also their children, um, from from being um, uh, codified uh, in the uh, the U.S. Constitution. And she wrote rather clearly and eloquently about um, the the vocation of of motherhood and the confluence of of, of law in. Uh, and the necessity for the protection of it. So, Phyllis Schaffly is someone I think um, is something that is someone that we ought to kind of look back and, and read some of her work more diligently. Thank you very much, Paul, for sharing that with us. I, I just recently, uh, I just now a few seconds ago, I remember that last week I promised that we'll have an image of the week every week <laughs> posted on our Telegram group. Remember that, Erin. So while we were uh, talking, I went and looked for a beautiful uh, classical art image of Joan of Arc, St. Joan of Arc, uh, certainly uh, fitting for what we're talking today. So that is the image of the week. If you want to go and look at it, you can go to our Telegram group by uh, clicking in, in either Erin's or my account, and you'll see the link there, and you'll be able to join our Telegram group, and you will find the image of the week Today, again, it's a beautiful image of Joan of Arc uh, fighting, fighting uh, for, for her country. So uh, today we're talking about uh, those leaders that inspire us, those leaders here or in heaven that have made an impact in civil society, that have been Catholic leaders, leaders who, who exerted a leadership that was not just confined to the Catholic world, to the parish, to the diocese, and we're, and we're not in any way dismissing or putting down 
that sort of role or leadership, as Erin has mentioned. But we want to promote that uh, the lady today, particularly today, we think it's of great importance that we look outward and we look at the world and we su- we see the need that there is today for leadership, Catholic leadership, but for civil society. So we've talked about uh, Dorothy Day. We've talked about, well, I, I can remember, recall the ones that I mentioned, Tom Monaghan. And there are so many, but we invite you to, to talk about your heroes. Who are your heroes? In the, in the audience, Jennifer, Pedro, Gina, Maria, Gabby, Dan, Claudia, Norma, Rafael, JP, I know you have heroes. Raise your hand, come up to the stage and tell us who are those people that you look up to? And I know for sure, Erin, you have a few others. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Paul, I'm really glad that you brought up uh, that woman. I had never heard of her. So I'm like learning as we go, as per usual. I like Googled her name instantly. So thank you all for sharing and, and getting up on on stage and and um, sharing your own examples too, because there are so many and we all know different people. So it's nice to be able to talk about it and share uh, the people that we've experienced or know in our own lives. And then that way we're informing each other of these other amazing heroes that maybe some of us didn't know about. So thank you, Paul, especially for sharing that. And of course, everyone else who has shared on stage. Um, Another person that I, well, have always looked up to because I'm very, um, I'm very passionate about the pro-life movement, um, is Kristen Hawkins. And at first I thought she was, (laughs) yeah, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you know who she is. I actually thought she was Christian and then very recently learned she's actually Catholic. So I'm glad I can use her as an example (laughs) in our room today. Um, so Yeah, I mean, talk about someone who just took the bull by the horn and and just goes full force into a very important issue that does not need to be religious. It's actually a human rights issue. Um, So she, for those of you who don't know exactly who she is, she's the founder of Students for Life of America. Um, She is an amazing speaker. She um, is, she speaks or is a part of the March for Life every year in Washington, D.C. She travels around the country and speaks at um, colleges and universities. Um, she's, their, her organization, I would, I need to go on their website and learn exactly everything they do, but it's, it's astounding. So if you don't know um, who she is or what Students for Life um, is, uh, please, please, please look them up because it's incredible work that they're doing. And it's, they do not take a religious or Catholic approach. Everything is approached, um, with science-based facts, um, what actually happens to women before, during, and after an abortion, um, or, you know, all of the other kinds of ways that life can be, um, disrespected and um you know it's it's really it's it's a beautiful movement and organization and she is someone who uh she does not back down i follow them on um social media all their social media platform all their uh excuse me all their accounts on the social media platforms and she like you guys should just watch like one five minute clip of her answering a student's question who asks a question at um a college campus because she literally goes and speaks like at um, events at universities and it's it's just amazing because to see the way that she breaks down some of the things that they they throw at her and and you know there there truly is um, a truthful answer for everything when it comes to the pro-life movement and it's just beautiful to watch I've learned so much from her about having conversations about that um and again it's it's not approached with a religious attitude at all it's a very um it's just she she went into secular society and has created an entire movement and organization and a very powerful one out of it so um she's someone i majorly look up to and have for a very long time so if you don't know who she is or what her organization is, I'll also put that link in our Telegram group because you should know about her and that 
that group if you don't. <laughs> um, I thought someone, oh, I think someone's trying to come up. On the, um, actually, Claudia is trying to come up, but for some reason I can't bring her up to the Yeah, I'm trying to do maybe, that as well. Maybe you can help us. In the meantime, I want to talk about, I'm so excited about this topic. I want to talk about one that so inspires me. And it's just amazing. It's just amazing. Um, Saint now, Jose Luis Sanchez del Rio. How many of you know of him? Jose Luis Sanchez del Rio, uh, just recently canonized by the church. He was 12 years old when the Cristero War began in Mexico. Are you? I'm sure many of you of Mexican ancestry know of the Cristero War. Uh, during this time, the Mexican government wanted to extinguish the influence of the Catholic Church throughout the country. They started executing, executing priests, seizing the Catholic Church's property till this day. Uh, the government hasn't returned ownership of maybe many uh, many church buildings, closing religious schools and convents uh, in accordance with anti-clerical laws that were written into the Mexican Constitution. Many people don't know that uh, in a very uh, particular manner, unlike most of Latin America, uh, while Mexico does have an enormous Catholic influence, and it's, of course, a Catholic country, uh, there's also a tremendous, particularly in the government, in the government, a tremendous uh, influence, influence by the Masons. And, and it was a, a Masonic president, precisely, who uh, got all of this started uh, back during the Cristero War. So anyway, uh, Jose, Jose Luis Sanchez del Rio, at 12, he went to battle. He went to to fight, uh, to die. He, he went to die. He knew he was going to die. And he was excited. He told his mother, uh, Mama, do not let me lose the opportunity to gain heaven so easily, so soon, when she begged him not to join the army. Because uh, children, teenagers and children were joining the, ar the army, uh, the Cristero army, uh, to defend the church. Uh, so just to wrap up the story of, of Jose Luis Sanchez del Rio, when he, he had witnessed others being tortured and, and, and martyred and, and died, he would encourage them to say, uh, do, not, do not be sad. We will soon join again in heaven. And when, when his own turn came uh, after being tortured, they told him if he shouted, dead to Christ the King, that they would spare his life. Of course, he was a boy. He was a little boy. They said, just say, dead to Christ the King, and we will spare your life. Instead, he shouted, I will never give in. Viva Cristo Rey y Santa Maria de Guadalupe. Of course, long live Christ the King and uh, our, our Lady of Guadalupe. And, and this is a story many of you have probably watched the movie, right? Uh, so it's just an amazing story that really, really inspires me. Paul, I know you have others. Paul, maybe you want to bring another one up. Or Erin. Yeah, I'm not sure if Paul or Angeline, if either of you have anything, please unmute yourselves and we'll hand over the mic. But um, go ahead, Angeline. Right. Um, she's not a saint yet, but I believe she will be. And she's Lila Rose. Uh, how many of you know of Lila Rose, who is uh, part of, uh, who is the CEO and the founder of Live Action that works towards uh, pro-life movement. Yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> and uh, clearly she is is translating the very verse from the Bible that, you know, you got to be the salt and the light to the world. And she has translated that in, in her initiative. And I would love to have that kind of energy to be initiating something like that. So I would like to invite all of you to this Instagram page. It's called Biology Isn't Bigotry. Uh, a bunch of less than a handful of us have um, decided to make such a movement because we have a lot of pro-life movements, but we don't have a, a movement that bring back the very essence of the Lord's creation of, of male and female as an identity and, and you know, uh, and and that a person is more than just a feeling of of attraction or a feeling of a sexuality and, and and bring that authentic human self 
especially in in a time where we live with the woke culture and you know children being confused about their gender identity at a very young age and and being uh, exposed to puberty blockers and hormone therapy and uh, reassignment surgeries and then later regretting it in the future and and having problems with it so i would encourage you i would invite you to follow and support us Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing that, Angeline. Um, we can always share that in our Telegram group as well. And thank you for bringing up Lila Rose. I like she's very similar in her what her mission is um, to Kristen Hawkins, and I didn't even think about her. But yeah, amazing, another amazing example. So thank you for um, sharing her and what she does and and that mission. So thanks so much, um, John. You've joined us on this stage. Uh, take it away. Uh- Thank you, Aaron. Can y'all hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, because this is uh, my actual first time speaking on the stage here at Clubhouse. Uh, but uh, Jen, I don't know if y'all know her, but she's the one that just pinged me to join uh, this conversation. So I want to thank you for this opportunity. So I'm from San Antonio, Texas, and uh, hopefully I can uh, answer the um the purpose of this room here, uh, here in San Antonio, Texas, I have a, a, a nonprofit organization called Mission Possible 360. And the reason I started Mission Possible 360, it's a nonprofit 501c3. Our, our, um, our mission is, is we have uh, youth and adult programming and they are, uh, at the end of this program, right, that they finish, uh, they are given the opportunity to uh, join uh, the Catholic Church, first of all, number one, number two, uh, or a Christian church, right? Um, so the, the Mission Possible 360 was, was, was born out of necessity because the, uh, there was a lack of uh, community engagement in San Antonio, Texas, uh, specifically uh, from the Catholic Church, and and that was the reason behind starting uh, Mission Possible Three Hundred and Sixty. By the grace of God, obviously, we've been able to help uh, hundreds and hundreds of families, and a part of that process is the breaking the cycle of of uh, prison, breaking the cycle of violence and um, helping families reconnect to themselves, uh, reconnect them back to schools, and uh, reconnect them back into the community. And part of that reconnection of the community is, is to uh, bring back the, uh, the, the Catholic uh, faith in their lives. Uh, and one interesting fact I found out by doing this work, that when I went home to the homes to do the work, because part of our work is we go out into the homes. There's a lot of organizations uh, that don't like to do that. They like to stay within their confines. But part of our mission is to go to the home. And if you read, and I'm sure y'all have, Jesus Christ, that's how he did his uh, mission. He went into the homes and broke bread uh, with the people. And so that's what we do. So what I learned was that the grandparents, right, the abuelitas and the abuelitos, um, they're the ones that had sacred space in their home. And they're the ones that had uh, our Virgen of Guadalupe, right? When you walked into the home, it was she was right there with an altar, right, with pictures of the grandkids. And and they, that's the first thing they would show me, you know, look, look, Mr. Vaca, this is our altar. This is where I pray to, to our mother to keep... You know, the, either the, their their grandkid, uh, you know, alive, uh, away from drugs, or they're using drugs to get help, and and uh, or if they're in gang violence or gangs in the streets, um, you know, they would uh, pray, you know, for help, and 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 so uh, people like ourselves that would show up, you know, it, it was a big blessing to them, and that the Lord is is still listening to them, and and so. I found out right away that the mothers, uh, we were lo- we were losing, been losing our our um, our spirituality. Um, they didn't have that in their homes. When I went to the moms' homes, and um, 
So a uh, part of our work that we do is, is um, when I'm working with the youth specifically, and we take them through our program, and 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 um, and it's for example, twenty six sessions they go through, and it's life skills training. It's um, where and and uh, at the same time we do uh, cultura cura. What that means is we're culturally relevant, so our teachings are are based on the culture because San Antonio is what seventy uh, percent Mexican American, and so at the end that's where we begin to work with them and building up their faith throughout the whole process. We're, we're planting the seed. Um, and, and towards the end, that's when they say, sir, where can I go to church? Right. And that's our goal, uh, for the youth. And, and they're not in church, right? They're the ones that are marginalized. And so, uh, these are the gang members or the drug users or the, or the girls that are involved in prostitution, or they're moving from home to home because they're homeless. And, and so once they, you know, they're ready to go into the Catholic Church, uh, you know, I always contact their grandmothers because it's the grandmothers that are the ones in the church. And so I always tell them, wherever your grandmother's going, that is where you're going to go, you know, whether it be Christ the King, whether it be Holy Family. And so that's how we've been effective in that way uh, to be able to engage the community, uh, pull them from the, you know, the uh, you know, from the Mexican mafia, because there is, you know, really deep mafia roots here in San Antonio. And we helped him get out of that lifestyle and uh, help him walk him into the, the kingdom of God, into the church. And they become productive citizens. They then begin to work and they graduate from school and go on to college and do some amazing things uh, here in San Antonio. So thank you for your time. Once again, my name is John Locke. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that, John. You are a true Catholic leader in civil society. Um, when you shared the name of your nonprofit, I immediately looked it up and went to your page about what your mission is. And yeah, this is amazing and beautiful work. So thank you for what you're doing because it seems like it's just very, not only impactful, impactful, but rewarding and it's definitely glorifying God's kingdom. So thank you for sharing that with all of us. You're welcome. Um, I'm just going to reset the room really quick. We've had a few people join um, over the last several minutes. So um, if you're new to our room, this is Catholic Leadership for Civil Society. We talk about a different subtopic every week. Um, This week we're talking about Catholic leaders in the modern world. Who are they? How do they insert themselves into civil society? And how do they stay true to the Catholic Church's teachings despite the work that they're doing in secular society? Um, So we've had a lot of people um, or a lot of examples shared by the people on the stage today. um, And we are continuing the conversation for the next 20-ish minutes. This room is one hour. And um, we're so excited that all of you are here. So if you have someone that you would like to talk about as an example of a Catholic leader in civil society, please raise your hand and we will bring you up to the stage. Um, but we've had a lot of great examples already and uh, we're con- excited to continue the conversation for the next 20-ish minutes. Um, also, if you're newer to our room, uh, what we talk about a lot is based on uh, the Vatican II call to the laity to do exactly this, to insert ourselves into society and bring Catholicism and the Catholic Church's teachings into the work that we are called to do, um, but not in the parish or in the diocese, out in the world. So we're talking about leadership for the world. What what can we do as Catholics, but in society? What can we bring um, to to our communities, to our states, to our country, <laughs> to the world. What can we do as Catholics in in our society? So, um, we we are we base a lot of that on the Vatican II's call to the laity. Um, if you're unfamiliar with Vatican II documents, I highly recommend that you familiarize yourself with them. Um, there is so much good information in there, and it truly is a call to all of us um, t- in so many different aspects of our lives. Um, not only only with our our own personal relationships with Jesus Christ and our, our prayer and the, and the time that we spend in the sacraments, but also a call to take all of that out into the world. So that is what we are discussing um, 
today, and that is the overarching theme of this room. So if anyone wants to come on stage and continue the conversation with us, please do. Otherwise, I don't know, Christopher, if you wanted to share some more thoughts. Well, simply that, uh, to reinforce a little bit of what you're saying, which is that the Second Vatican Council certainly uh, where we draw tremendous inspiration for what we're doing here every week, uh, had a very important, bold, urgent um, call, challenge, invitation to the lady, to all of us. And that was to change society from within, to renew the temporal order, to sanctify the world uh, by sanctifying ourselves in it. So, this is what we're trying to remind our, our audience and our uh, current, uh, those who share the stage with us every week, that uh, we, the lady, have a very important duty to do, which is that of inserting ourselves into the secular institutions of society to make this uh, temporary home of ours a little bit better. Not not because it, 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 is, it is important to have... Uh, a utopian society while we're here on earth uh, because the world will always have trouble. It will always have trouble. But because it is our duty to make this world better, to reorder things, to reorient things towards God, it is simply our duty. So we believe that Catholic leadership needs to, needs to be exerted out in civil society. And that's why this is our mission. And, and we encounter people who are doing it, who have been doing it, Every day, all t- all day, uh, throughout the work that we do, uh, certainly the work that I do, and just recently we had as a speaker for one of our sessions. I work for an organization called Tepeyac Leadership. We had uh, uh, former senator or U.S. senator Rick Santorum, which is somewhat of, of a very polemic uh, uh, personality, uh, political personality. Uh, but I, I would. Uh, propose that it is because of his uh, strong Catholic uh, uh, platform as a politician and that he follows through uh, sincerely that he has been attacked so much. And then he recently introduced me, of course, Senator Santorum is a Republican. He recently introduced me to Dan Lipinski, who is, uh, I would say, his counterpart on the other party. This is certainly not about promoting a certain political party. Dan Lipinski is a true, faithful, committed Catholic who is also a former uh, U.S. senator and and a Democrat. And he has related that to me, that as a pro-life Democrat, it was a very lonely place to be in. It wasn't a place... Uh, where he was well-received. But both of these men, gentlemen, uh, believe in their duty to be leaders, to exert leadership as Catholics in civil society, and they have taken it to the political realm. But the political realm is not the only place where we can exert this leadership. And that's why we mentioned the example of uh, Dorothy Day, and and, uh, and I have also talked about Jose Luis Sanchez del Rio, which is an entirely different circumstance in Mexico, Mexico City, that uh, I pray to God that we never reach that point where we Catholics here in the United States need to uh, uh, stand in, in arms to defend our faith. But should the moment should the moment come, will be will we be ready and willing to do that? And even today, when we don't have to take up physical arms, there are other types of battles that we're continuously fighting and it's primarily Absolutely. a spiritual battle or a, a spiritual combat, right? That starts first from within. And I can talk about myself uh, here. The battle starts from within. The devil, the adversary, our only true enemy, the devil, because we have no other enemy. Everybody else um, can be a useful pawn to the devil sometimes, at times. But he's our only true enemy. And I know that that battle starts from within because the, our church, our mother church, tells us so. And because I live it in my own life. And I, I, I am very aware of the continuous temptations and distractions that he is throwing at my way. And that's why we need to have a life that is grounded on, on prayer and in the sacraments. And once we are 
strong in that internal internal battle that each one of us is fighting, then we need to go out and continue the spiritual combat outside through the work that we do, through those uh, duties that we have because this is where God has placed us in, in whatever space that we occupy. I'm talking about a nurse in a hospital, about a worker in a factory, a farmer in the fields. It doesn't really matter the, how um, grand or small any of us might think our position uh, in, in society might be. We have a role there, and it's a leadership role that God has given us. Will we step up to the plate? Will we lead as Catholics in civil society, wherever we are, right? And that can mean running for office at the federal level, or it could mean joining my parent-teacher association, joining my homeowners association. Uh, do you understand what I'm saying? If you're a student, joining the student government body, whatever uh, way in which you can exert leadership and influence others, you'd be helping advance the mission of the church. I said it here before, it used to be that Catholics, particularly in America, but throughout the history of the church, it used to be that Catholics were leaders because they were Catholic. That's no longer the, the case. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, there are many Catholic leaders out there, but not nearly enough for what the world needs today. And if, if there's something that's happening today is that we are now, much like Jose Luis Sanchez del Rio, we are now in front of a tremendous opportunity to live lives of heroic witness. Why? Because the world is upside down. The world is com completely upside down. Suddenly, what was bad is seen by society as good. Uh, everything is it's upside down, and we need to bring back Christ's light into the world so that we can help this confused world in, in the midst of this darkness. And we can do that. We can do that in, in a very real way when we aspire to be leaders, to exert influence in society. And this is exactly why we created this room and why we started this conversation. And today we're talking about all of those leaders that inspire us. Who inspires you? John, I see that you turned your mic on. Did you want to share something? Yeah, Christopher. Thank you for, for sharing. You said a, a lot there. We can unpack, I'm sure, and talk about. I just want to really quick, when I, when I you know, I, I played, you know, uh, my mom tried, you know, she tried taking us to church, Catholic church. And, and but my dad didn't allow that. She had to sneak me to, to actually get me uh, baptized. And, and, and he was abusive and, and, and he would beat her. So I witnessed domestic violence as a young boy. And that totally changed my life. Um, you know, in ninth grade, I was uh, throwing out my refrigerator because it was full of maggots. It was you know, nothing, you know, obviously to eat. It was full of maggots. My mother broke uh, psychologically, m mentally, you know, uh, or psychologically and emotionally. And, 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 and so, um, so the, you know, the, we had no uh, electricity. I think we had one place that we had electricity where we were able to uh, run a cord, an extension cord throughout our whole house. And, and uh, one place to, for running water was in the bathroom only, in the tub. And, you, you know, that's where you got water to make a noodle soup or you got water to wash your face or take a shower. And so that's how I was as a ninth grader. And uh, in high school, that's what I went through, right? And 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 uh, in, in today's age, it's called trauma. Back then, it was no one spoke about it, and and specifically within Mexican American families, right? Uh, you don't talk about the family's business outside of the family. That stays in. It's a secret, and that is uh, very very destructive uh, when you know that occurs in our in our families and 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 uh, the secrets remains you know inside and and it turns into uh, other you know uh, destructive behaviors uh, when you're not able to to verbalize that and and so um, and I went to the state championship in basketball I was captain of our team and had scholarships uh, to uh, to play football and I did and uh, but what happened was uh, trauma it finally got a hold of me it turned me into a whole nother person um and and 
you know, um, I had opportunities to go play professional basketball in Mexico. Uh, but that trauma finally got a hold of me. I, I shut down. I quit uh, sports. I quit school. Uh, began to then, you know, get involved with the gang here in San Antonio. And um, because it was a way of survival. And they provided, you know, shelter and security. And, and so there I went and uh, ended up in prison. But in prison, that is where, where the Lord came calling and, and gave me a vision to start Mission Possible 360, nonprofit in San Antonio, so youth wouldn't go through what I went through. And, and, and so, um, so when I first came out, and this was back in 1999, so I've been out 20, 20 plus years doing the work. When I first came out, I was in search of baby Jesus. And, and, um, and, and I was part of a real strong uh, community uh, here in San Antonio, a small Bible community, Catholic Bible community uh, that empowered me to do this work. And, uh, and, and, we, we, and so uh, we're talking about heroes. And so in that small Bible community, we, uh, the leader talked a lot about Richard Rohr and the men's rites of passage. And so that being said, I came out searching for baby Jesus and I couldn't find him out in the community. And that was the reason why uh, I decided that it was time to start this nonprofit. And I, I don't come from a family of, you know, of uh, pastors or priests or or community organizers or anything like that. This was a calling that God gave me and the creator gave me. And 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 I, I went for it. And I, I want to wrap it up with uh, there's an there's an activity that we do. Uh, Christopher, it's called El Ojo de Dios, right? It's called the Ojo de Dios, and, and, and in English, is the Eye of God. And so what we do is we use yarn, and we and we wrap it around it at the end. It makes like a diamond, right, with two sticks, two wooden sticks. And in that process, we, this is how we teach the youth to start a prayer life, you know. We're, so we're sitting quietly in the, in, in the, in the rooms and the schools, wherever we're at, and, and so... Um, and we teach them, you know, to slow down, you know, we teach them to, to quiet their spirit because, you know, they come from chaotic homes and they come from dysfunctional homes where everything is loud and, and, and everything is, a lot of it is, is aggressive and violent. And so we, we, we work with them because they come diagnosed with PTSD. So with this exercise, we teach them how to pray, right. To calm down. And we teach them a breathing exercise. But the whole time, what we're doing is planting the seed for prayer. So after they're done with the Ojo de Dios, and and um, and it's a beautiful uh, arts, right? And we have that blessed. Uh, and, and I will always bring in uh, sisters or, 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 or I'll bring in elders from the community to bless these, you know, uh, medicine tools, we call them. And they keep that and they take it home. And I tell them, take it to your house, put it somewhere where, you know, you want to start praying. And, 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 and some, and so I just wanted to share, you know, how we actually do it, uh, to, to, to work with the youth and, and what transpired, uh, for me to, uh, to do the work that I'm doing. So thank you for this opportunity. John, thank you for sharing that. We've, uh, unfortunately come to almost the end of the show when we need to wrap this up and we usually like to close with a summary of uh, just some pearls for people to take away. So we're going to do that. I'm, I'm going to ask now, Erin, if you could please um, bring us to that summary. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just have one comment. Thank you for sharing that, John. Um, I think it was important to take away from what you just shared is that sometimes it's uh, what we've experienced in our own lives that can catapult us into the work that we end up doing in society for Christ. And you're a perfect example of that. So thank you for sharing your deeper story because it's very beautiful and very inspiring. Um, okay, for the summary, um, Gosh, so many things today as per usual. So thank you all for speaking and sharing and listening. It's been a wonderful conversation and it always goes by so fast. So um, what the I do at the end every time is I just summarize what we've talked about. And um, today was great. So I'll uh, start off by sharing a quote that Christopher mentioned. I might be paraphrasing, so I'm sorry, Christopher, but he started off by sharing um, an amazing example of a Catholic leader in society, Dorothy Day. And one of the things he said is, Dorothy Day never stopped being on fire. And what a powerful witness and example for us, because it is often really hard to 
sometimes we'll hit bumps in the road or, or things happen in our lives and we, we, ha- we know we have this calling from God, but it's really hard to keep going or, or to really know if this is what we're supposed to be doing. But she, she truly just never stopped um, being on fire for our Lord and she kept doing the work that he called her to do. So um, amazing person and someone that we can all aspire to be like. Another example of a Catholic leader in society that Christopher mentioned is Dan Lipinski. Um, he's a pro-life Democrat, and he talked a lot about him um, a little bit later in our conversation, but another great example of a leader that we can all um, learn from and, and, and be inspired by. Um, Angeline shared a lot of great things with us. One of the things that she said that I was able to write down is that we can redeem a lot of things that have been distorted in today's culture. Um, That's a really powerful statement and a very true one as well. So thank you, Angeline. We, We are so grateful for you sharing your perspectives and yeah, what a beautiful statement. Um, it's so true. We, we truly have an amazing opportunity to redeem our culture um, that has been distorted. So thank you for sharing that and reminding all of us of that. Paul, um, I commented on it earlier, but you shared another example of a Catholic leader, Phyllis Sch- Schlafly. <laughs> it's hard to say her last name, but um, as soon as I looked her up, I'm, I'm, I was inspired and I'm excited to dig deeper into who she is and what she's done. So thank you for sharing um, her name and, and her example um, for all of us. Christopher, you mentioned Jose Sanchez del Rio. Um, one of the quotes that this, this person said was, do not be sad. We will soon be joined in heaven. I think I paraphrased again. So <laughs> sorry if it's not a direct quote, but what an amazing example this, this, this man was for all of us. And and what a, just an amazing witness to God's God's kingdom and and all of the work that God calls us to and and that is the goal. We 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 are not to be sad. We are not to be afraid, as was was quoted earlier about from Saint Pope John Paul II. Um, we will be joined again in heaven. So thank you for sharing his story in that quote, Christopher. Um, Angeline, you shared the example of Lila Rose, um, very similar to Kristen Hawkins and her work. Um, we can learn so much from these um, amazing women who just truly have dove in so deeply into um, the uh, the pro-life movement, the human rights movement that is so near and dear to all of us and that should be um, at the forefront of everyone's mind as it is such an important issue. Um, John, you shared so much with us today. We're so happy to have you join us for the first time as well as to hear your story. Um, John shared his work um, with Mission Possible 360. It's a nonprofit in San Antonio, Texas. if John, if you don't sh- uh, join our Telegram group, although I highly recommend you do, I'll make sure that I share your website in our group app because um, it's very inspiring and important work that you're doing. And you are such an example of a Catholic leader in society. So thank you for being with us today. Um, Christopher, you talked about Rick Santorum, who's another great example of a leader. Um Christopher mentioned this quote that the devil is our only true enemy. And, you know, that's, 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 I couldn't say it better myself. I don't think any of us can. I mean, it's, it's very obvious to see his work in our world today. Um, But he is our only true enemy. And there is so much good that, that can be done and that is being done and that we can all be a part of to counteract um, his evil ways. So thank you, Christopher, for sharing that and for reminding us of that. Um, Christopher also shared some, some examples of the ways that, that we can be Catholic leaders in our own communities. Um, just a couple he mentioned, um, joining, I think it's called the Parents Association or something similar <laughs> um, at your children's schools. Uh, join your homeowners association. And I think there was a third one. So I'm so sorry. Christopher, if you remember it, um, you can share it when I'm done. But there are just so many opportunities we all have to be leaders in our own communities. So um, it doesn't have to be anything uh, crazy or big or, or, you know, take up a ton of your time either. It can be simple things that you can dedicate yourself to, um, but be very impactful in and bring your, your Catholic leadership to. So just a couple of examples. And last but not least... Um, 
again, I think I paraphrased, but Christopher said something to the tune of, we have a tremendous opportunity to live heroically. Um, what a great way to finish us off and to end this conversation on. Um, it's so true. We, we all have opportunities every day and over the span of our lives to live heroically and to answer God's call um, to each of us to live as Catholic leaders in civil society. So uh, once again, thank you all so much for sharing your, your thoughts and your experiences and examples with us today. We're so happy to have you all, and I will turn it over to Christopher to conclude us. Thank you, Erin. It seems we will go a few minutes over today, but it's okay. Uh, next week, we'll talk about the Vatican, uh, Second Vatican Council's call to the lady. We've been talking about it throughout the different uh, weeks, the different topics uh, sprinkled throughout each of the topics. But next week, that will be our focus, the call to the lady from the Second Vatican Council. So please follow Aaron and me. I also invite you to keep the conversation going in our Telegram group, where you can also find the image of the week. I did post it today. It was a beautiful image of uh, St. John of Arc. Find the direct link in Aaron's or in my profile and join us on Telegram to continue the conversation. Also, don't forget to join the Catholic Professionals Club here on Clubhouse. Uh, join us live on Clubhouse Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific. If you like what you've heard today, listen to it again or share it through our weekly podcast. You can find it on all platforms. Just look for Catholic Leadership for Civil Society. And the podcast is out. I confirm it's now officially out. So just look for Catholic Leadership for Civil Society uh, on all of the platforms. It's our podcast or join us live on Clubhouse Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific. And remember, this and every week is an invitation, an invitation to each one of you, uh, each one of us to step into that leadership role that God has for us in civil society. Why? Because if not now, when? And if not us, who? Have a wonderful day. See you next week. Thank you, everyone. God bless.